everyone, I'm Hannah Lloyd. And I'm Charlotte Gilfillan. Welcome to our podcast, Women in Wellies. Each episode, we will be inviting a guest to share their stories, experiences and lessons of working and living in rural Scotland. We want to get to know the real women behind the wellies and share them with you, our listeners. This episode is sponsored by the Landed Estates and Rural Business Team at Henderson Loggy Chartered Accountants. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Women in Wellies podcast. This week we are joined by Emma Clark. Emma, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm great. It's absolutely brilliant to be here, girls. Thank you. It's um, it's nice to have you back. You were obviously back on our bonus episode for International Women's Day, so it's nice to kind of hear a bit more, bit more about you. So can you kick us off by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. So my name is Emma Clark and I live on the island of Isla. And I own and operate Glenagadale House on Isla with my husband, which is a five-star gold guest house, and we're fully licensed as well. So it's it's a really nice island way of life, and um, that's what we spend all our days doing. And Emma, have you always been from? Are you from Isla? Have you always lived on Isla? What? How did you end up running Glenagadale? Okay, so the. I, I grew up in Isla, so I am I am an official Tufter and Island. Um, grew up here until I was about eight and a half, and then we moved to Speyside for a couple of years, actually following the whiskey. You can guess my, my dad made whiskey. So grew up at Bunahaven, moved up to Speyside, and then moved back to Isla when I was just about 14. And um, it's it's a it's a really unusual way of life. It's, it's a beautiful way of life. But when I was 18, there's no university on Isla, and most, most kids will either choose to stay in Isla or go away for university. A lot of them come back. Um, so I moved away to university, loved university, went three times, did uh, three different degrees, which eh, we obviously like the life. On the last one, I met my husband. Um, so he, I went for a job as an, uh, as an interview at a cocktail bar, you know, the usual song. And then my husband interviewed me. Um, so yeah, that was it. I then worked in hospitality management and I also worked in pharmaceuticals and worked between Glasgow and London in brand and marketing and sales. I absolutely loved it. So we had a really, really nice quality of life in the mainland and lived in Eagleson, which is a really beautiful wee countryside village, a conservation village out in the south of Glasgow. And I would work that area and between Glasgow and London and travel quite extensively as well. So it was it was a lovely way of life, but we moved back home to Isla eleven years ago, um, and I'm sure I'll talk more about that in a wee while because that was that comes with its own challenges. Um, but moved back to Isla eleven years ago, and um, I would say I've never regretted it. I can't, I can't. I'll be honest with you, um, I never regretted it, but it's given us a beautiful quality of life and our children an amazing upbringing. And that so was it kind of when you had the kids that you thought maybe going back to Isla would be a good idea or did you, you know, was, what was the kind of trigger for that move back to Isla, I guess? So the, the trigger was, um, oh God, the, do you know what the trigger was? The trigger was actually our daughter calling me Ima because um, I never saw her very much. So she refused mum. Um, the childminder she called mum and I was Ima and I um, spoiled both our children with, gifts and quality time but short periods of quality time and um so yeah the, the deciding factor was the realization that I wasn't there as much as I possibly there's there's no right or wrong so should be as a way of putting it 
but the realization that I could be there for more than I should have been. And we had options. So I'll be honest and say my husband didn't love his job. I absolutely loved mine. And then um, I am a bit of a control freak. So I know you might have guessed that, but anyway, I am a bit of a control freak and I loved the power sounds awful, but the feeling of power that my job gave me because I was really successful at it. Um, so it was, it was, it was brilliant. And that was a deciding factor for moving home was when Millie point blank refused to call me mum. So she was three at that time. Um, and our son was nearly 10. And we moved back to Isla. We genuinely thought our son would have struggled and our daughter wouldn't have done. We thought Graham, who had never been in Isla, would have struggled and I wouldn't have done. And we were blown away by being completely and utterly wrong. Our three-year-old struggled and I struggled. And our son and my husband just blended right in and loved it. Uh, what was Graham doing before you came back to Isla? Was he still in hospitality management? Yeah, he was in hospitality management. So actually for him, it was doing exactly the same thing, but running his own business. So he was, he was, he was the um, manager in the buttery in Glasgow and a manager in the, in the, or one of the managers in the Marriott in Glasgow and then went on to be um, training in MPQs and SPQs. He was providing training in MPQs and SPQs. In hospitality across Scotland, so um, he enjoyed he enjoyed the fact that he then worked nine to five. Theoretically, worked nine to five Monday to Friday, but he loves hospitality. He loves the buzz of the guest experience, the the food experience, the food journey, the drink. But that's his. It's just ingrained in him, and um, the perfection of a plating. That that's just Graham. I uh, he still thinks he's my boss. Anyway, that was his background. I obviously trained in hospitality management, grew up in hospitality, but um, then veered off to pharmaceuticals and the sale and the thrill of the thrill of the marketing and and actually capturing that sale. So totally different. Graham's so relaxed, so laid back, and uh, I'm not. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh, Emma. I shouldn't laugh, but I know I've met you. I know. <laughs> I tried to change, but I'm not really. <laughs> You're not really. And that food and drink experience that you've just said, great. You know, Graham's really passionate about. That is also a big part of what you do at Glen Egadale. Yeah. So we do things like we do a six mile meal, or, or sometimes a ten mile. Depends on fishermen go out um, so yeah we do have six mile meal we've got the Moss Estate behind us which provide us with the most amazing pheasant venison absolutely gorgeous and actually some of the time the guests are seeing the gamekeeper dropping it off at the door and then it's just that's part of it the fishermen come in their big white van with their yellow wellies and their and their, and their dungarees with their rugged cheeks part of the experience of the guests then knowing that it's on their plate literally a couple of hours later well, our food and drink experience is is a huge part of the culture of what we do. And it's not only about the guests having the most amazing produce. It's about the smell when they come into the house. And we try and make sure that that smell is captured. The doors are open from the right. So it just, it's about savouring the moment. It's about them seeing, trying to make sure that the guest sees and knows that actually that is the, the fisherman delivering their seafood. 
like telling them where it's come from, which port it came into, who caught it. Um, and there's a couple of things that happen. So obviously they get the most amazing produce. But apart from that, they actually feel good because they've supported Fraser, Ishbel, Graham, Dunloss Estate, and they have supported and and economically helped our island survive. So they feel good about putting back in. They feel good because it's such an ethical produce that's that's on their plate. Um, so it's it's about the journey. So yeah, food and drink on uh, Glenagadale House is a huge part of what we do. Mm-hmm. And Emma, you've said there that it's kind of, you know, Graham's the one who is like passionate about the food and drink and all that's like kind of ingrained in him. It's obviously ingrained in you as well, because you can tell by the way you you talk about it, the way you're kind of making the connections to be able to get Fraser or Ishbel or whoever to deliver the produce to your door. You know, a lot of that must be you and your relationship building and the marketing and branding around Glenegadale making that so important as well. It is. I mean, it's 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 always going to be a team effort. I, I wouldn't sugarcoat it. It's always going to be a team effort. Um, and it is knowing that we don't always get it perfect. So one of us will be stronger at Graham, stronger at seafood, I'm stronger at the game. It's um, so there is having that having that balance. Um, yes, it is part of my. It's part of our culture. We grew up. My kids grew up thinking a takeaway in Ireland was a seafood platter of lobster crab. Well, <laughs> ruined by the time they go to uni, Emma. Ruined. <laughs> But genuinely in Isla, that is what a takeaway is. We go to the fishing co-op bag and, and they'll they'll chip some lobsters in for you. Ishbel delivers when 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 we're having a night off, she'll deliver the seafood platter cooked to us. We usually cook our own or we always cook our own for taste. But for us having a night off, that is a takeaway. So I think it's very much part of island life and rural life, not just island, but rural life, that you use what's on your doorstep and you appreciate it. And then I think the, the culture behind using everything, um, knowing and actually getting children to grow up knowing that actually, and I dare I say it now because I know veganism is such a huge, huge part of life, but knowing that there is that available on our doorstep and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be done so perfectly and ethically and amazingly. Mm-hmm. I just want to go back Emma we're talking all about Isla but I just want to go back you you said you went to do you went to do three degrees now that's someone who really loves the student life but what did you study and why did you do three okay so the honest answer and there, there will be a tiny Jesus, the honest answer is growing up on Isla you don't always make your own decisions now I was born in 1977 so I won't say I'm that old but uh, in that culture, bearing in mind Isla's culture is a wee bit older than, than mainland. So my my mum, my dad, my auntie filled in my UCAS forms. I I never decided what I wanted each single time. So the first time they said you Christian childcare or in education. So I did do that. A second time did a nursing. Um a rich general nurse. I I'm uh, sounds really awful. I hated it. Absolutely, yes, it did. I put in yet, but it wasn't me. And I'm not saying it's not for the caring side of it, but it just it wasn't what I wanted to do. I like being outside. I like on the beach and having a campfire, a flask of coffee, or catching a point. But um, and the third time I did hospitality management because now at this point they realise it's kind of 
not worked the first couple of times. She's not gone off and done it. And uh, they've all got bed and breakfasts. So here's a good plan. And I think that was part of the succession planning was um, I was going to come back to Ireland. But, um, so we, yeah, we, at that point, I was sent off to do hospitality management. I think it backfired when I met Graham. So I did finish it, but Graham is very quiet, but extremely strong. And taught me to stand up for myself a little bit more. And it's only now, I probably got to the age of about 40. So that was obviously just last year. Uh, no, <laughs> I got to the age of about 40 and went, hang on, what, what is your dream? What do you want to do? And I think that's why I'm so passionate about making sure particularly rural kids actually follow their dream. If they have a dream that seems so unattainable, it's not always. Um, so make sure you do what you want to do and not what people around you believe you should. It's That's a really interesting um, point, Emma. And it sounds almost, you know, childcare and education, nursing and then hospitality management. When you when you say that and you put it in the context of not necessarily making all your decisions you, yourself, other people filling in your UCAS form, making those decisions for you. When you look at that in an island context, they're all degrees and courses that provide a service that the island needs and is vital to the island community you know they need people in childcare and education they need people in in nursing and then ultimately they need people in hospitality because you need a tourism a tourism sector for an island like isla to survive and so it's it's quite interesting actually that um while the decision wasn't yours, there is kind of elements that make sense when you're in an island and they're saying, you know, we need to future-proof our island. This is the skills we need to build in our community. Oh, we can get Emma to be a nurse, <laughs> you know? I think, I think there's a degree of that. I think there's possibly a degree of, and, and yeah, absolutely. I think there's a degree of, on an island and rural location, you don't see the possibility of being a scientist a lot, you know, we don't see them on a day-to-day basis. So how are our kids going to say, actually, do you know, I want, I want to fly to the moon. And who says they can't? Um, and I think if you don't see something in front of you, which nowadays are social media, so there's much more opportunities to actually, for the kids to say, I, I could do that. But I think unless they see things in front of them, it's, it's not always there. I know with our son, um, some of the kids at school had said to him, I bet it's a woman's job to be a vet is a woman's job. It's, it's interesting. We had, at that point in time, we had all, in fact, I still do have all female vets on Isla. So the perception is a, a vet is a female job. So it's distilleries where male jobs, you know, it's, it's how that's, that's changing. And interestingly, we're in a rural community. So when you do get a male vet, you can see some of the farmers are like, you know, but it, it took a bit of bravado to sort of go, okay, I don't care if it's if it's going to be a woman's job. But and Emma, you mentioned there about sending you to do hospitality management and succession planning. So that you've grown up around bed and breakfast, kind of tourism, that kind of thing being part of your your life. Did you were you one that put that in the box and said, I'm never doing that. That's not what I want to do. Um, I don't even think we thought like that. So I I, I think um, growing up, um, I never pushed against anything that anyone ever told me to do I wish I did but um I never questioned everything anything never put any barriers up never said no to anything so no I don't think I ever thought I wouldn't want to do hospitality I never thought about moving off Isla I never thought I I don't want to be here 
but not because I didn't want to, more just because it wasn't an option. Um, and it was really interesting listening to Emma McAllister Hall's podcast. Like, and actually, it's a similar, it wasn't really a, a question. It was just, that's what we're doing. And it's, it's similar. It was, um, it was just presumed that you'll always do what you, you, you'll always do what you're told. And that's it. So doing this management wasn't because I wanted to come back to Isla. I think now if somebody asked me, I would go, absolutely not. And interestingly, I want, uh, it's quite an interesting thing that whenever when everyone automatically asks and our guests will always ask, do you want your children to come back to Isla? And I do, but when the time is when and if the time is right for them, and if they choose not to go and live life and see the world, and leaving Isla when I was younger, I used to come off the ferry and obviously I thought in my head up until probably about the age of 16, that London was turning right and Glasgow was turning left when you come off the ferry. That was all there was in the world. Oh, that was my genuine perception. There was London and there was Glasgow, nothing else. So I never want our children to feel that way that, or anyone to feel that way that actually the world's a small place. It's huge. Go and see it. I think actually, Emma, this is probably the perfect opportunity for us to really start to dig a bit deeper into your journey to buying Glen Egadale House because, you know, there's lots of succession planning. There's there's a few challenges around that. Um, and I'm conscious it's not really something that you've shared publicly before. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about it? No, it's not. And it's um, thought long and hard about this when I, when I was uh, talking earlier about whether or not I should share this story. So it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite an emotive one. It's quite a shocking one. But I think succession planning is really poor in rural areas. And I think it's something that's never talked about and never spoken about. And sometimes it's just presumed. So we both, as you've, as you've kind of learned, we both had um, really nice jobs, really lovely jobs, a nice quality of life, actually. And um, my parents had said, obviously, that about thinking about moving back to Isla and that they would gift us Glen Eagledale House to avoid inheritance tax. So I don't know whether I should say that publicly, but do you know what? Here we are. Um, the, so we, we, we obviously, we'd, we'd, uh, we had our own house and, and beautiful house and nice quality of life. So it was, it was a thought. And being quite cautious, we, we did it all uh, drawn up legally and we would be rent for a couple of years and then the house would become ours. So the, the perception was that Glen Eagledale House would pass to us. It was, who's not going to do that? You're going to be given a business that could grow and had huge potential and our knowledge background and passion and, and sheer determination, we knew it could work. Um, obviously we were uprooting our children and I, having moved in my childhood, had vowed that if we moved our children, we would never ever move them more than once. So we made the decision to move back to Isla in two, February 2013, we moved back to Isla and the understanding was that Glenagadale House would become ours without a huge cost. And about four or five years in, we spent hundreds of thousands of pounds of our equity from our old house uh, renovating Glenagadale and doing it up so that it was five-star gold and, and beautiful accommodation and at an amazing level and um, it was already a successful business but it it, it needed work and then we uh, we got to a point that we realized that we this, this nothing seemed to be changing 
And I said to my parents, but when, you know, when are you going to hand over Glen Eagerdale House? And unfortunately, things have changed and um, they weren't. So we had to buy it for the new market value of the work that we had created. So it, it was difficult. It was really, really difficult. But the downsizing was we had no money. That sounds daft, but we had at that point spent all our money doing up the Negadale House. So we went to several different banks, we went to several different mortgage lenders, we went to several different crooks, to be honest, and uh, got led up the garden path several times to the point that our belief in any system and our belief that we would be successful had gone. So we eventually got to the Royal Bank of Scotland and um, we kind of thought they're far too straight laced. They're never, ever, ever going to give us who have got zero money and uh, a, a, a hope. And um, we met a guy called Clark Robertson from Ayrshire. He's no longer with the Royal Bank of Scotland, but he was fantastic. And he had farming background. And uh, did I believe did I believe it was still going to be successful and we were still going to make it? No. But he told us several things. He told us we had to get licensed so that we would increase the value of our business um, so that we looked a bit more attractive. So we got our alcohol license and we had to work for another two years. We had to become that registered. And all these things went against what um, what we had wanted to do. And actually it was almost reducing our income to actually to move forward. But we had to believe because it was our only option. And uh, and it worked, and it worked. And Clark Robertson had said, come out to Ayrshire and read your neck of the Botana and come and sign all the paperwork. And even even when we got there, uh, he said, oh, I won't meet you in the bank. I'll meet you at a coffee shop on Main Street, Ayrshire. I'm still going, he's a another trip. That's why he's not meeting us in the bank. But, you know, we've still got no options. And at, at this point, I'm still going. And they used to dress quite casually as well. And I'm like, it's not a Scotland uniform on. We've come out from Ayrshire. And I met him. <laughs> But he said, you know, as we tried to make it more relaxed, he was, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, and uh, we signed the paperwork, came back to Isla, and it was probably a couple of days later that this horrendous amount of money was sitting in our bank account. And uh, I kind of went, oh, it was true. <laughs> it was true. And we bought Glen Eggedale House, and there obviously is like a huge amount more to that journey because it's from your parents, and it's very, very difficult. But they are my parents, and and they always will be, and they live just down the road, which is probably why I've never publicly ever stated that. So the general thought process is that Graham and I were gifted Glenegadale House, and I can assure you, <laughs> we weren't, and we've had to work our socks off. So we bought Glenegadale House in wait wait for it February two thousand and nineteen, just before COVID. <laughs> So, yeah, challenges, we've had to work. We've had to work our socks off. We've had to be resilient. And in amongst that seven, eight, nine-year journey at that point, we had two young kids. We had a, a really successful business that had grown and um, probably grown faster than we wanted it to, which sounds awful, mainly because we had planned on having a slight work-life balance because we had two young children. So I will say I don't think our work-life balance was very good. But we were still here. We still woke them up every morning. We could still, we never missed a sports day. We never missed a parents night. We never missed anything. Um, but where we at Beth and Call were gays 24-7? Yes, we still are. But um, 
but yeah, it was it was different times. And I think the difficulty was um, being happy all the time. We have to create this most magical experience for guests. So you can be eating up inside, knowing what's happening, knowing you might lose your home and your business, knowing that we might need to move back to the mainland with nothing, which is when we did actually have a really nice life and, and quite a comfortable life. And knowing that we'd failed and failure wasn't an option. It wasn't an option. You have built this incredibly successful business. You have this beautiful family and you create these amazing experiences for your guests. But that has all come at a huge family cost. It's come at a huge financial cost. And I suppose the question is, you know, looking back now, was it all worth it? So I do actually ask this question quite often. And I think, I know one of the questions you've been asked a wee while, and uh, it's interesting because my, my take on it is you have to learn from absolutely everything you've done in life, good, bad, and different. So do would we do it again? We would. This is this is a this is a really interesting one, and it's one that we ask ourselves a huge amount. We would absolutely do it again. Would we be more cautious and careful? Yes, but we thought we had been. We thought we had been. So. There's learnings from everything, but yeah, 100% we would do it again. We have a beautiful life, um, a successful business, and two amazing kids that would have ended up very differently had we stayed on the mainland. So the good thing is that having, having, having lived through it, worked through it, been resilient enough is there's a couple of things. One, we did it. We've got a strong marriage, amazing kids, a good business, and I hope our journey teaches somebody else, actually, you can do it. You can make it. And um, it's difficult, but just keep going. I believe in the Royal Bank of Scotland. I'm sorry, I'm not an advert. (laughs) 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 But it's so important because in your journey, Emma, the Royal Bank of Scotland in this instant have been the ally that you needed you know and in Emma McAllister Hall's episode she talked about ally up you know build your build those people around you she dropped name dropped you as one of her allies and I'm sure you I'm sure you would you would name her as one as well but actually in your journey having a business like the Royal Bank of Scotland and Clark Robertson specifically at the bank as one of your allies is what's allowed you to build the successful business you've got today. It's, it is amazing. You have to have people around you. And um, you, there's, there's obviously the friends, and which is one of our big learnings now, and we're probably only realising it now, 11 years later, is uh, being more sociable personally and our work-life balance wasn't great. Um, and I don't mean financially that we're able to do it now. We're probably not. But, um, but we are making sure that if our work-life balance is slightly better, it makes the guest experience better as well. Um, but yeah, Ally up. Royal Bank Scotland have, have been great um, and still continue to be to this day as we're about to embark on a £2.2 million expansion of Clinic at Dale House. Uh, they continue to be utterly amazing. Well, that's what, that's a hope, but they continue to be utterly amazing. For those that don't know, Hannah and I actually met Emma for the first time on the Scottish Rural Leadership Programme last year, which feels like a very long time ago. And I've had a little bit of insight into what comes next for Glenegadale House. But Emma, why don't you share a little bit more about what you have planned? Because it's very exciting. I think um, the plan is to have nine extra bedrooms and a 40 seater restaurant and space for functions at Glenegadale House and remodeling some of the existing, some of the existing buildings slightly um, internally as well. So 
the it's it's a huge project because we want it still to be five stars, which is it's our complete that's our under underpinning values. It's, it has to be five stars, and but that's the plan is um, to have much larger bedrooms than we originally have, bigger focus on our our food and drink, and um, but I will be honest and say somebody said, oh, so you you want to encourage your children into the business and, and grow your business. It's our exit plan. I make no bones about it. That having learned so much from succession planning, <laughs> this is our exit plan. So it's a long exit plan. It's a very long exit plan. But um, having had the journey that we did have, it's it doesn't make uh, retirement quite as easy as as, as planned. We uh, we do have we do have to start now focusing on on how to eventually leave. I'm sitting at 46, 47, and his uh, groom's just about to hit fifty. So we have to start thinking about it. And then uh, I don't think we'll ever not be able to work. But uh, having done up to hundred hours, hundred twenty hours each a week for the last sort of uh, eleven years, but uh, you have to remember, guys, to forget that there's a time difference. But um, yeah, so. There's huge plans and we're still at the very, very, very early stages. So they are still slight dreams and um, are slightly further on than dreams, but we're, we're still dreaming. And um, the good thing about the, the Scottish Rural Leadership Programme that we did was, and I, and I know you will both giggle at this, is we did a huge amount of voluntary work. And um, I think a cost of living uh, covid my voluntary work for tourism, had we not done all of those things, I think we'd had our, our expansion done, dusted, built, we're playing that now. But I volunteered far too much of my time and um, took away from our business slightly. So as of last week, I think it's last week or the week before, I had stepped down from several of the roles that I was doing and have now just got a few of our smallest roles, which is absolutely amazing. Um, Probably the most grassroots ones are left, which is brilliant. Um, I mean the most to, to the islands for tourism and, and making sure that we're all um, getting the most from the visitor experience and for them as well. So are they, are they the ones perhaps that, you know, where you can make the most difference, Emma? They are. They're, they're making the most difference at grassroots level. Um, and it's at grassroots level it now needs to come back to. I think there's, there's far too many... Um, voluntary organisations at the moment that understandably are concentrating and focusing on getting funding and forgetting about actually what they're going to do with the funding. So the ones that we've got at the moment are all membership led and probably have the least amount of money and the least amount to run because everyone does things for us for free because it's, it's fantastic. But uh, are just really lovely, a really group of really lovely group of um, I want to say youngsters because most of them are under thirty as well, which is really, really nice. And it's lovely to encourage the next generation to actually realise that being in a committee doesn't have to be scary, mm. even with oldies like us. But it's really lovely. There's a lot that the next generation can offer to committees, and it would be. I mean, there's a couple of committees I sit on, and um, it would be lovely to have more of the next generation coming on and getting their take on things, and um, getting their ideas, and getting their enthusiasm, and getting them involved because that's such a crucial part. Is particularly at grassroots level, particularly at a local level. Um, so yeah, it'd be great to encourage more of them onto it. I think the perception is that committees are only up of old people, and um, yeah, of course. 
don't lie, a large proportion of them are. But um, the fact that actually we've got what, 14, 13 or 14 of our committee for Explore Island Jura, which is our local DMO, and um, nine of them are under 30. So it's absolutely fantastic. And the things that they offer different perspectives. And uh, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And it's great to actually listen to them and nurture them as well. So it's, it's really lovely. And, and Emma, just going back to what you were doing, you know, a couple of years ago. So you were working ridiculous hours. You were bringing up two children. You were running a household. You were trying to develop your business. You had all these commitments to all these different voluntary organizations and all this additional work that you were doing. We talk about work-life balance, but how on earth did you manage to balance all that? I I'll be honest and say I don't think we did have a work-life balance um, at all. So our our work, it, it was work for everything. And um, the only things we did outside of work were purely for children. And it would be um, a walk in the beach, campfire on a beach with hot chocolate. And I know this sounds awful, girls, but I could incorporate that with making sure that I had an Instagram picture for social media or um, Glenega Dale House. I don't think I've ever confessed that before. But um, walking up to a trig, the kids would love it because it would make it exciting um, or going through the bluebells. But these were all things that I were like, okay, it's an Instagram picture. And actually the kids have grown up going like that. They'll send pictures of things on Island now or Jura or even in the mainland going, good Instagram picture, good picture for the business. You know, there's certain things. I think it's taken us a long, long time to realise just how important friendships, socials are. Um, to us and to us as people and actually in turn what that does for, for your business because you're happier um, and things like Emma McAllister Hall has kept us saying um, I, I genuinely can't play her messages and I'm sure vice versa she can't play our, um, our messages from usually from the kitchen or something that's happened um, and uh, do I confess a guest that's that's uh, arrived that's given us a giggle and then um, we're just really, really lucky to have that in good days, bad days, in different days, just sharing a two-minute voice message with Emma, knowing that you've got Emma and Neil there. And, uh, and and likewise, other friends that we're just really lucky to have. But I genuinely kept thinking, this winter, this winter, this winter, we'll have more friendships. But Isla's an all-year-round destination. And the winter turned into, like, two weeks. And in that two weeks... This sounds awful. You're so exhausted. But you're like, oh, no, no, no. I don't, don't want anyone around. Don't want to see anyone. And then you turn into actually suddenly going, I have no friends. And that's, that sounds really harsh. But actually, it did get to the point where we'd kind of lost touch with most of our mainland friends, which was a really big part of our life. The main deal for a tenant at Marks and Spencer's at that time that we used to all have each other's house on a Friday was, was our, our life. It was brilliant. And then we suddenly realised that Having come back home, I didn't have a huge friend circle when I was young anyway here, but coming back home, we'd kind of left behind our mainland friends. We were too busy to create a friendship circle here. And I would say it's only been the last year that we've really, really made an effort. And it feels awkward. As a grown up. <laughs> Making friends as a grown up. Worst thing ever. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. You don't have babies anymore to have that instant conversation. So... It's it's difficult, but actually it's 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 doable. It's it's really doable, but it does put you out your comfort zones. But it's worth it. 
yeah, you've shared a lot of experiences with us. Um, some of those have been quite difficult. Do you think those experiences have contributed to your really innate drive to succeed? I mean, you're a very competitive person. Um, you throw yourself into everything, which is not a bad thing at all. You're incredibly passionate, very, very capable. This is why so many people want you for so many things. And there are so many demands on your time. And this is how you've built this incredible, successful business. But do you think those experiences ultimately drove you to want to succeed to that level? So I think there is a degree of that. I will say I've always been really competitive. Well, probably since probably since about 18, I have been really, really competitive and maybe slightly older. But um, and I always want to be I always want to be the best, but not to be the best at beating somebody else. It's not about, OK, actually, they're second or third or I just want to be if we take something on that has to be the best it can be. So it's not about beating other people. It's just about making sure that what the product that we have, whether that's a lobster, whether that's a and b or a restaurant or whatever, it is the absolute best it can be. And I don't want somebody to look on and sort of say, okay, it's good, but it could be better. And right now I will say we're good, but there is things that we can always do better and we see them. And I am, but yeah, so no, I, I will say I've always been really competitive. I think our challenges that we had probably buying Glenagadale House and uh, has driven to me damn sure I don't fail with Graham and the kids behind us um, having had our journey that let's be honest the, 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 the chance of us failing was pretty high um, the chance of us managing to walk away with nothing in the bank and uh, no business, nothing. And there was times that we did say, we, we did. February 2019, we said, we're walking away. And the answer we got was, you'll walk away with nothing. And our answer back was, we'll walk away with our sanity and each other. And it was all we needed. Um, and that does drive you. It does drive you to say, okay, let's make damn sure we make it good. And we actually have a quality of life that we can be proud of and a guest journey that we can be proud of. So, yeah. Is there an element of you want to prove to your family how successful you are given your experience of buying Glenagadil House? There is a huge amount of us that is a bit of a, every single obstacle was put in our way. Um, some intentionally, some unintentionally, some just the way life has thrown us. But... We've got this and we've made it through as a team and as a family. And by God, it was hard. But it was worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think now this sounds really cheesy, but last week I was asked to present an award at the um, Thistle Awards in Inverness. And uh, it felt amazing. It felt just that. It's not about the act of actually handing out an award. It was the act of somebody going, would you present an award for us? Would you sit in a, would you sit in a board? And I want to go, but hang on a minute, I just bake cakes and clean toilets. Um, and that's my, still, still sometimes my perception is going, I'm just this wee bochel from Ireland who cleans, uh, cleans toilets and bakes cakes. And then I go, actually, think of all the things you've achieved. Look back. The only time you should look back, isn't it, is when you, you look at how far you've come. And in the odd occasion... 
generally when we're cleaning rooms, because Graham cleans the rooms and I actually clean the bathrooms. And uh, that's when we have our most in-depth chats. Because uh, the guests have gone out and uh, the kids are away at school or, or university. And and we have probably the most, we're cl- we're, you're cleaning, you're making beds, your thought process is, is going. And uh, generally we'll do the, okay, this needs done, the curtain needs done, the, there's something, something's needing, the, there's a shower, a tiny bit leaky, we need to, we need to do that, we need to do this. And then we'll go, by God, remember how far we've come. So you see your failures and then you go, yeah, we're, we're, we're all right, you know, we're, we're quite good. And I think you have to remind yourself sometimes, and it's a really Scottish thing of going, actually, oh, we're negative, negative, negative. And then we go, hell we're all right you know we're good we've come far we're still together we're still smiling and we come through one heck of a lot wrong yeah i'm just gonna say this i loved your dress that you wore when you presented that this award it was stunning <laughs> you looked amazing me phase eight number it was a it did it felt really nice oh emma thank you so much this has been a great conversation and thank you for being so open with us i think it's been brilliant but we end every episode by asking our guests what advice they would give the next generation of rural women in scotland i think you've already dropped some fab advice as we've gone through so what would you round us off with um i think the one thing that i i say to our kids and and we've learned from as well and you can tell when you walk into a room uh, how you feel is is going to set tone absolutely sets tone and we just every single day when a guest comes in that door so my one piece of advice for every single young person or or someone's even struggling is you absolutely attract the energy that you put out and you have to go into that room as if you're feeling 110 percent and give it absolutely everything light up your smile light up your eyes and you you will feel better yourself. Fantastic advice. Um, I'm feeling very emotional listening to you and listening to your family challenges and listening to, um, you know, what you've been through and not having realised what you've been through. And can I just say that we are so incredibly grateful that you have taken this opportunity to share with us and to share with our listeners this incredible journey that you've been on and have been so honest about the challenges that you faced and how you've overcome those and the resilience that you've shown and and the teamwork between you and Graham and you know your kids I, I can't tell you how incredibly lucky I think your kids are to have the two of you and to have the type of role models that would I'm getting upset myself now but but would have the type of role models to show them what's possible um not just from what you've done but also giving them the opportunity to be whoever they want to be to do whatever they want to do um i just think you're absolutely incredible emma thank you so much for joining us today to share your stories experiences and lessons no problem thank you for having me it's been lovely talking to you if you would like to connect with emma on social media and find out a bit more about what's happening at glenelganel house you will find all of her details in the show notes Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram at Women and Wellies Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest news. And you can email us with any questions on womeninwelliespodcast at gmail.com and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time.